Welcome to the Further Light Podcast, presented by Wisconsin Freemasonry, helping you accomplish your Masonic goals through education and more light. And now, I present to you, Brother Chris Ludke. This is Brother Chris Lickie, and today I want to explore Masonic funerals, this very enigmatic element of the fraternity, the sort of thing that we don't typically see in many fraternal organizations, I would argue sets us apart, but let me set a scene for you. A man is walking through a mostly deserted cemetery when he comes across a memorial service in progress. The gathering seems somehow different. Curious, he stops at a distance and listens. Dozens of men of all ages are lined up, side by side. They march towards the casket, all dressed in dark suits, wearing simple white aprons. Upon the casket lies another apron. The speaker's eulogy is full of arcane terms and esoteric references, things that sound common, but maybe you have a hard time making the connection. At last, the speaker addresses the deceased, and on behalf of those present, offers the deceased a final valediction. So, my brother, on the bright morn of the world's resurrection, may thy fragile body, now laid low by the chilling blast of death, come forth in immortal glory in the realms beyond the sky. Until then, my brother, farewell. Farewell. This man has just come across a Masonic funeral service. And apart from cornerstone laying, a Masonic funeral is one of the few visible public displays of Freemasonry that are out there. Yes, we have buildings, but to see the people doing a thing is going to be a little bit unusual, especially publicly. Now it becomes even more important in modern day because in 2020, members performed a Masonic funeral service for the civil rights leader and congressman John Lewis at the U.S. Capitol Rotunda. Of course, two centuries prior, George Washington had received a Masonic send-off at his public memorial. The Masonic funeral ceremony is one of the most conspicuous examples of our values put into action. It's also very often the prism through which outsiders will first encounter the craft. Because when you think about it, that's where you're going to get family members who see things. Now, by no means am I saying that we should be recruiting through this or carrying petitions in our pockets. What I am saying is that this is a public ceremony. This is something to be understood through that lens, not just something that happens within the lodge room. And in a way, it's kind of fitting because the concept of death and rebirth and legacy are important lessons to the teachings of Freemasonry. Now, when we look at the Masonic funeral in general. First of all, I'm taking information from the Grand Lodge of Iowa, the Grand Lodge of California. Some of this are also my opinions that are being interjected in here. And the reason I want to look at it is there's a lot of interesting information here about the Masonic funeral service. Why do it? What are we trying to do in the first place? How do we even start doing something like this? I mean, it's really odd to have anyone outside of religion performing a funeral service, much less a fraternal organization. So let's get into it. 
let's talk about the origins or start with the origins of the service. Now, conducting Masonic funeral services is as old as the fraternity itself. One theory states that in the days of operative masonry, stonemasons buried their own with great solemnity and reverence. And this would make a lot of sense. You have to go back to the medieval for a moment. And this is going to be someone that they've worked with side by side for a period of time. As much as we talk about traveling masons throughout Europe, it doesn't happen that often. These cathedrals and other structures that we tend to try and tie it to took hundreds of years. But these are the people who know this person best. Maybe he's itinerant. Maybe he spends nine months a year out working on the cathedral. And then during the winter, when the work stops, goes home for a period of time and comes back out. And what they're going to do is they're going to take the time to bury the body. Why? Because you're not going to transport it home. In the medieval period, or even into the Renaissance, into the 1600s, the 1700s, you're not going to have time to do that sort of thing. If the brother lives more than a day's travel, that body's not going to make it. There is no embalming. And so what they're going to do is they're going to bury it there at the time. And note will be sent home. It's much like a soldier in modern day, where sometimes we bury them in the field, as we see in Europe during World War II, for example. They spoke of eternal life after death and the need to perform good work towards all humanity through the course of man's life. The entire guild, or we believe the entire guild and all of the families that were available would turn out in force to mourn the passing. And keep in mind, there's an interestingly Masonic element because when we look at the funeral service, a funeral is not for the person who has died because they don't really care they're dead. The offices of death are nothing if not lessons for the living. It is there to remind us, to create lessons for us. So this tradition has been carried forward for centuries to our present day, our current form of speculative masonry. Now, Masonic death and life is something we need to look at. It gives us some idea of why this is happening. Today, these tend to be abstract ideas, jumping off points for discussion of esoteric concepts. But historically, it's going to be an important element of the fraternity because historically, if someone dies, you don't ship them back to where they're from. And there's not time to do that. Again, lack of embalming, amongst other things. And so it's down to the people that are there. During the Civil War, we see a lot of Masonic burials happening in the field because those are the people who are available to do it. And keep in mind, until the last 120 years, things like funeral homes, etc. weren't a thing. They didn't exist, so everyone's much more comfortable with it. You would take a body, you would wash it in your home, you would put it in the parlor, you would have a service there at the house, you would probably assist in the burial. Making sure the departed brother received proper burial and remembrance was traditionally one of the most important benefits of Freemasonry. By the way, it's a tenant of Abrahamic faiths. So Islam, Christianity, Judaism. You can go the other way too. It doesn't matter. Because it comes under hospitality, taking care of those people who are away from their homes. Even now, the fraternity plays an important role in times of death. Masons are known to travel for miles around or from miles around to attend the funeral service of fellow brothers, even those belonging to other lodges, other jurisdictions, and we've all seen it. We've all gone to services, or hopefully you've gone to a service, where someone's from another jurisdiction. We get a note that says, hey, they've requested a Masonic burial. Their family and everyone is down in Florida, but they'd like to be buried up here for whatever reason. And so it still happens today. But... 
there's a lesson here. Like I said, the offices of death are nothing if not lessons for the living. So members often refer to Freemasonry as a system of morality, one intended to help guide them towards a more fulfilling life. But the context of that life and that life lesson is often morality and mortality. From the ritual death and rebirth that we see within the lodges to the symbolism of the eternal soul, masonry attempts to provide its members with a vision to enable us to look with faith beyond the veil. In other words, doing two things. This gives us a memento mori, so a reminder of death, because if we were immortal, we wouldn't have to worry about it. We could sit there and watch Netflix and avoid the day. But we're not. The end could come at any time. And so that reminder basically says, hey, what are you doing with your time? Are you sitting around doing something useless or are you doing something useful? And obviously that definition can change from society to society. But at the end of the day, it's a reminder that, hey, there's no guarantee of tomorrow. And so finish the things you need to finish. Do the things you need to do. Chase your goals, carpe diem. Seize the day and move from there. So things like skulls have become known to represent all things spooky in popular culture for centuries. But we've seen these ideas of a memento mori being used in art and literature going back to the 14th century and earlier. It, was, it gained popularity during the Black Death in 1347 and after in Europe. And that's most evident in many of these art forms that we see, such as the vanitas and other forms. These were still-life paintings, the vanitas, uh, from the 17th century, depicting the pleasures of life, juxtaposed with symbols of death or ephemerality. In other words, the showing the temporary nature of life. Things like bubbles or wilting flowers. So you'd see, for example, a beautiful table laid with food and there would be a skull and wilting flowers, reminding us that while you may have pleasure today, you may be dead tomorrow. By reminding us that our lifetime is short, the memento mori invokes another Latin phrase, the idea of carpe diem, an admonition to live your life in the here and now. Live in the present. Be mindful. How, how, many of we, how many of us have heard that on a regular basis? The skull isn't the only visual representation of the memento mori in masonry. We also see things like the hourglass, giving us the sense of the unceasing march of time. Similar, the sprig of acacia, the evergreen leaf referenced during the funeral ceremony. And is described as an emblem of our faith in the immortality of the soul and symbolizes perpetual renovation. It gives us hope for the afterlife. Father Time or Kronos or Saturn, depending on where you're coming from historically, etc., is seen in Messiah context as a reminder that time, patience, and perseverance will enable, will allow us to accomplish all things. The 24-inch gauge symbolizes the day and reminds us again of this brief space that we are allotted on earth and we, that we need to wisely and usefully employ our time and in the mutual exchange of kind and friendly acts, promote the welfare and happiness of each other. Now, these lessons are bordering on religion, so we have to deal with that. Any discussion of death in the afterlife inevitably leads to the this sort of reckoning with religion. To say that one believes in life after death or an existence of the soul 
in an inherently spiritual is an inherently spiritual statement and therefore a statement of faith even distinguished material distinguishing material and spirit for some raises uneasy metaphysical questions we're all uncomfortable with death because we all have the same question what's going to happen it's not surprising that for most Americans death can be a very uncomfortable topic for most people I mean, not even just Americans, any human. As soon as you have the sentient knowledge that there's a beginning and therefore there must be an end, it's going to be uncomfortable because we don't want to think about that. We don't want to think about what happens after. Because what if the lights go out? We don't know. Masonry in dealing with such questions treads a fine line, but does so without crossing into religion in our own beliefs. So what about the Masonic view of the afterlife. If we're going to talk about funerals, let's talk about that. Well, that kind of personal interpretation extends to questions of the afterlife. To some, they might imagine heaven in a Christian sort of idea. So, angels and saints, the silver city, etc. To others, reincarnation and the continuation of cosmic life cycle is going to be their reality or becoming energy or moving into any other form. Ancient societies believed in the underworld where everyone kind of went and just existed. To others, death is final and eternal sleep. But even that view can be imbued with meaning. It may represent the soul's reunification with its source, absorbed like a drop of water returning to the ocean. Freemasonry can offer members a context for approaching questions of death and the afterlife, often left unexplored within much of secular society because we try and avoid those questions. But those lessons are not necessarily unique to the craft. Many cultures and faiths improve, involve stories of rebirth or resurrection. This theme was especially captivating to adherents of the ancient mystery schools that provided some of the philosophical backdrop to Freemasonry. Among them, we see groups whose initiates perform mock death and rebirth. And by the way, that's quite common, that idea. The death before death ritual is relatively universal. We see it in many cultures and religious belief systems. In facing one's death, even if only as an act, the hope is that one will confront the fear of mortality and live with more courage and intention if you've faced it once, even if it wasn't real, it's going to have an impact. Masonic concepts of the soul, immortality, and reincarnation may seem heady for most, but as technology increasingly forces more philosophical reckoning with questions of humanism, there's still room for a spiritual framework for approaching our moral, mortal end, excuse me, and for the lessons it holds for our time on earth. So let's draw this together. Let's take Einstein, for example. He's known to be relatively secular. He's known for his knowledge of physics. And he says, quote, Time is a landscape. If you have the right perspective on the universe, you would see all of it laid out in front of you. All past, present, and future as a whole thing. What Masons are left with then is the notion of what might be called the infinite present. The writer Joseph Campbell may have captured this sentiment best when he says, quote, Eternity is that dimension of here and now that all thinking in temporal terms cuts off. The experience of eternity 
right here and now, in all things, whether thought of as good of good or as evil, is a function of life. So what he's arguing, what Einstein is arguing, is that everything is the present. Live in the present. Because if you are in the present, then you're not concerned about the future, which means you're not concerned about death. You're worried about what's happening now. You're present for your family. You're present for those things that are truly important, those things that people regret or talk about on their deathbed, which, by the way, is never, ah, I wish I had spent 80 hours at work or had a bigger SUV or had a nicer McMansion. They always talk about spending time with friends, spending time with family, totally different things than what we see in the day-to-day. And so if we can back out, And look at life in that framework, almost a stoic framework, a reminder that we're going to die. The stoics famously will remind themselves, I may die tomorrow, and do so multiple times during a day. It forces you to live in the present, to do those things that are truly important, to really think about what you are choosing to do. So do you choose to work an extra 12 hours this week, or do you choose to come home and spend time with your children? Do you choose to go out and have a good time on the weekend, on your own? Or do you choose to do something to make more money? Or do you choose to spend time with people around you that you love, friends, family, brothers, etc.? It forces you to think about the implications of all of your choices within the larger framework of mortality. And that is incredibly powerful. That is the lesson to be held, or as I see it, the lesson to be held from the Masonic Funeral Service. That being said, thank you for joining me, Brother Chris Lidke, and the entire Further Light team on your quest to find more light through masonry. Are you interested in learning more about Freemasonry in Wisconsin? Visit wisconsinmasons.org to learn more about masonry and access further educational content and more light. Once again, that address is wimasons.org. Any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email us at education at wisconsinmasons.org. And thank you for listening.